From Charter Hall and Banish, this is Sustainability Further. I'm your host, Lottie DL. You're listening to Sustainability Further, a podcast by Charter Hall. One of Australia's leading property groups, Charter Hall is focused on creating innovative spaces and going further to build a better future for all. Blake Lindley wants to encourage people to go round in circles. He is a circular economist, the director of the Australasian Circular Textile Association, and is also an associate consultant at Edge Environment, where he helps businesses transform the way that they do business. In this episode, we discuss the circular economy, the spheres of influence, and Blake's future plans for Australia's uniform industry. Blake, thanks so much for joining us today. First of all, I want to ask you a question that I ask all of our guests. What does sustainability mean to you? Hi, Lottie. Thank you for having me. Uh, Kicking right into it. Uh, Sustainability to me, um, in practice today, uh, and I think we will distinguish, I suppose, between the aspirational and the the actual in this instance, um, is really about slowing rates of change in the environment around us to fit within the evolutionary constraints that they have. So the, the great danger of climate change and the great danger of, of all the impacts and results of those types of things, ocean acidification is, is biodiversity loss, species loss, um, and broad-scale environmental change. Those ecosystem services are what underpin our existence through pollination and the like. So it's really about a slowing of things at this point. And sustainability obviously means slowing to a point where that can be infinitely sustainable, um, which is where we then cross the, cross the threshold into, uh, I suppose, the realms of regenerative design um, into the longer term. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good answer. It is about kind of acknowledging that we're nowhere near perfect, but we are definitely on a journey to get there. So your official job title is a circular economist. So for those of of people who really aren't in the industry, what does that actually mean? And for those who haven't heard of the circular economy, can you just explain to us a little bit about what it actually is? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's one of those funny ones when you're sitting at the barbecue and and uh, and someone asks, "What do you do?" and you say, "You know, I'm just, I work in sustainability or circular economies." And the first reaction is, "Great, that's brilliant." So, what do you actually do? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it always needs a little bit more explaining. But um, I, I'm an economist by trade. I studied in in what was called resource economy uh, economics at the time, um, a few years ago at uni, and that was. That's really about our economic system currently within the bounds of scarcity. So it's acknowledging that, you know, traditional models are not entirely realistic in that they don't account for scarcity the way they should be. Um, And my role, I suppose, now as a circular economist and in sustainability is about biomimicry at a systems level. So biomimicry is a... uh, it's a concept. Um, for example, how often do you hear the, uh, the phrase designed or inspired by nature? Um, really practical example is things like bullet trains, which were basically shaped off the beaks of kingfishers. Um, fins and aerodynamics of all kinds are shaped off fins of tuna and, uh, and other sea creatures. So we've been doing it for a long time. Um, that's what we call biomimicry. A circular economist or circular economy in general 
is actually about biomimicry at a systems level. So when we think about our, I prefer to call it sort of a production and consumption system, it's linear. Um, we, we take, create, we use, and we dispose of things. If we look at cycles or systems in nature, we find that they're actually all circular. So the hydrological cycle you'd be very familiar with, and the biological cycle, um, all those things, you know, there is no concept of waste in those cycles. So in the, uh, to go back to my earlier point, I suppose, on, on sustainability, the circular economy sets out to create an economic system um, or a system of production and consumption for us all that is circular and in that way sustainable. Wow, amazing. Try and say biomimicry three times and you will be tongue-tied forever. But <laughs> I actually never knew that about bullet trains being off the beaks of kingfish to do king, kingfish birds. I believe so, yes. Wow. Yeah, I'd be that... happily proven wrong, but um, <laughs> it's, it's nope. a bird. I'm pretty sure it's a kingfisher. I'm definitely going to use that as my next bit of small talk um, at a barbecue for sure. Um, but that is amazing. So what would you say is an example of the circular economy when it comes to kind of a workplace setting? Uh, best example, I think, is electronics. So these guys, again, with the notion of scarcity, deal with products that are, have a high material value. So lots of copper lots of lithium in batteries, cobalt, cadmiums, those sort of semi-precious metals that are actually now getting more economically costly to extract as virgin materials from the environment. They realized some time ago that what they were selling and, and uh, you know, Dell, the likes of Dell and IBM and those other large enterprise scale technology companies realized that they're not selling a laptop to each of these companies. They're actually selling the function of the laptop. So they're actually selling the capacity for each of uh, an organization's employees to, you know, use a suite of software and hardware on that laptop, you know, eight hours a day over the course of a year. And in doing that, they developed models more around the provision uh, of that. So what we call product as a service. So they reimagined, they said, look, we're not selling you a product, we're actually selling you a service. Um, and in that way, they take prolonged or extended producer responsibility or a stewardship sort of view on those products and materials contained within it. So it allows them to take back, you know, when there's an employee who uh, has a laptop with a screen fails, they can take it back. And generally, it might only be the screen that's failed. The rest of the componentry is still good. So they can actually maintain and refurbish a stock of product uh, for that client. So in that way, they are, you know, reducing that situation, which we're all very familiar with, where, we get to end of life with a product and we have neither the tools, the expertise or the knowledge of really how to do or refurbish it. You know, it's the classic issue of one small part breaking and that uh, essentially destroying the entire function of that product. So I think that's probably in as far as circular economy in the workplace, that's a really neat, um, a neat one to think about. Yeah, no, definitely. We've spoken about e-waste in particular a lot on this podcast. We had Sarah from Neighbours talk about it. We also had Spiro from Mobile Musters talking about it from a mobile phone perspective as well because it is such a huge industry within Australia and we are, as you say, consuming so much because the latest model comes out or 
as you say, the screen breaks or something tiny happens and we have to get rid of the whole thing when it is such a valuable and precious resource. So when it comes to the circular economy, we often look at kind of what's in reach and what we can control. But you like to take a little bit of a different approach, a bit more of an influential approach, you could actually say. So can you please explain a little bit about this? Because I think it's so easy to want to help and want to just think about the practical steps that we can do. But I think your the way that you explained it is really interesting. Yeah, so there is um, a tendency as we explore circular economy in particular, um, it requires us to take a very uh, a zoomed out view and to sit in the interconnectedness and complexity and, and messiness of sort of everything, really. Um, appreciate all that and then try and make a decision. Uh, if you're anything like me and you struggle to make a decision walking down the supermarket aisle, then this can be rather challenging sometimes when you're talking about, you know, large strategic directions. So the way, there's a simple exercise I often run with people that I work with or companies that I work with, um, which is just to establish three categories. It's direct control, direct influence, and indirect influence. And this can be equated to sort of short-term, medium-term, and long-term planning and planning directives. And it's a super simple one that I just like to do on the whiteboard. It's like throw up three circles, um, concentric circles and use sticky notes to kind of bump around all the different environmental impacts that your product or you know service or business might be having in between these categories. So direct control would be something that is delivered or executed by your direct employees. So it's, you know, we can today, tomorrow, make a decision that will change how those things are delivered. The direct influence is essentially one step up and one step down generally. Um, in the supply chain. So it might be your customers. If you're a business-to-consumer retailer, it might be you know, a, a business-to-business uh, relationship. So it might be your, your business customers and it might be your upstream of you, your suppliers or potentially importers. They're people you can directly influence and we all have a role. You know, A system is not the sum of its parts. It's the product of its functions. And so we all have a role to look up and down and actually exert our influence. So if we want to see change, we need to ask for it and we need to consistently ask for that um, across sectors and across industries uh, to get change. The The last one there, indirect influence, um, if you can imagine I'm working out from the centre, it's a little bit hard without without the visuals, working out from the centre, which was direct control, the middle, the, the, the closest circle, direct influence, the second circle and now indirect influence, uh, around the outside. And that's really everything else. You know, there's, there's things that sometimes in the business community, um, who has a very important lobbying position, generally done through associations work and the like, but there's a lot of time spent worrying about or complaining or bemoaning the lack of, you know, government regulation or state infrastructure or, you know, things like that. You know, if only we had policy, if only we had those things, they are coming. Um, they're being worked on by governments and there's, you know, processes that are for the most part in good, um, uh, are there for good reason. Um, sometimes they take a bit of time. We can acknowledge that. But, you know, we can focus firstly on those, you know, direct control, direct influence, and then, you know, those indirect influences are, the, are what you can influence through um, uh, associations and the, and the like. And I'm sorry if that was a little bit wordy. 
No, no, no. That's 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 good. I like it. It is difficult to explain a concept that I can imagine is so easy to explain using a whiteboard, but I think that you definitely yeah. did a great job of that sans whiteboard just then. Um, so I just wanted to talk to you a little bit. You just mentioned there that you do help consult a lot of businesses on kind of their sustainability practices and how to generally do better sustainable business. But what I wanted to ask you actually, because the last part of this of this podcast focuses on going further. And I would love it if you could share with our listeners an example of a project that you're working on at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, we are, well, firstly, I suppose I said taking responsibility for the role you can play. And one thing we can all do, you know, where I think we're at risk of letting sustainability justify fundamentally unsustainable practice in a way. Um, by that, I mean, you know, for example, recycling should not justify consumption. If we didn't need it in the first place, then it maybe shouldn't have been consumed. Um, and that links to projects we're doing at the moment along the lines of product stewardship. So oftentimes um, through my work at the Australian Circular Textile Association, which is looking at textiles broadly across Australia, we've bitten off one chunk of that pie, which is corporate uniforms. Um, and we've developed, we're developing up in the coming years, which we're very excited to do, a stewardship program integrating all of the largest uniform providers in Australia to take a full life cycle view on their products, which means at end of life, you know, designing at the initial stage for minimum impact and designing for reuse or highest order reuse at end of life. Um, we talk about a waste hierarchy often in the circular economy. So recycling is really one step above landfill. Beyond that, up the pyramid, we have reuse, we have reduction, and we have avoidance in the first place. So how can we start pushing up into those higher order recovery outcomes um, through early stage design and stewardship intervention with producers? That's a, a sort of pretty crux part of the circular, um, circular economy. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's so difficult because recycling has been kind of seen as the gold standard for so long. And we're only just realizing, I think, over the past couple of years that it really isn't the solution and that we need to be kind of avoiding it altogether. And I think textile waste is a huge huge problem um we had um michael from apparel or formerly known as man rags on talking about it a couple Mm -hmm. of episodes ago and it's just something that we don't really think about we try and use everything that we've got but when it comes to recycling something like clothing or repairing something it is about investing in those initial purchases it is looking for sustainable materials but I didn't really even consider the whole uniform industry until we kind of started talking and having this conversation, which I can imagine is huge. So what are kind of the outcomes that you're hoping for from the um, product, your work with the product stewardship? So that will be basically the design and delivery. Um, it's a whole lot of business case work, a whole lot of uh, CC, you know, um, approvals and and things I won't bore you with. Uh, (laughs) But what we want to do is establish really what will be Australia's first, you know, apparel textile-based stewardship program. Um, We have started there because although we acknowledge fashion is a massive, massive issue and by in quantity terms, larger than uniforms, um, we do have a really neat 
discrete set of stakeholders to work with there and some really strong financial incentives with, you know, brands having to manage end of life for uniforms. Uh, I often say, you know, it, it, Commonwealth Bank doesn't want um, someone in their old work short shirt robbing someone from another bank, right, um, being <laughs> caught on camera or something. So there's actually a significant brand security risk for all of these corporate workwear um, and corporate apparel that needs to be managed. So it's really just building out on that. They also see, you know, and need the opportunity um, to buy CSR commitments to do better. Um, so look, it's it's I guess financially as well. There's a there's a strong alignment there, and we're starting there. We get a lot, you know, twenty thousand units at once that are identical. So it does simplify the recycling process, given that this industry is very very young um, in comparison to almost anything else, you know, that we commonly recycle. So that's that's the need for starting there. Um, this is going to establish the stewardship organization in Australia to manage that process. Um, and it'll be sort of a, an industry co-designed and, and led initiative that starts there and we're hoping can expand into schoolware um, and all, other th- all kinds of other things uh, in the future. That, that's amazing. No, how exciting and what a great project to be a part of. It must, must be a challenge, I'm sure, but an exciting one that to work on. Thank you very much, Blake, to for joining us today. It's been a great conversation and I think that we've covered a lot of different topics and a lot of different points on the circular economy, but I think it demonstrates how it is kind of in every facet of our lives and I think it is um, something that people can really start thinking of more and recycling is not the solution. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me, Lottie. Cheers. This conversation is part of Charter Hall and Banish's podcast series, Sustainability Further. This series has been designed to inspire Australians to be more environmentally responsible and to take climate action. Sustainability Further is produced by Banish. Charter Hall's purpose is to create better futures by bringing aspirations to life.